Today marks the fifth in our sermon series, Once Upon a Time and Ever After, Exploring Not Safe Stories. During these winter weeks, we are looking at fairy tales to shed light on and enliven the gospel message found in Scripture. We all know how mysteriously and almost magically children are drawn to fairy tales because of the fantastic and imaginative way they describe the extraordinary. And if we look closely at the Scriptures, we know that they too are full of extraordinary things the incredible love and acceptance of God for all people. And so I invite you again to let the child within you come alive. For Jesus put it simply while discussing entering the kingdom of God when he said, you must become like a little child. We say that at baptisms, So let's say it today as we put on our sermon ears, become like children. So lest we think fairy stories, um, and we could say Bible stories as well, are just for children, we would do well to remember what J.R.R. Tolkien said. He was the well-known author of uh, the trilogy, Lord of the Rings. He said, fairy stories offer also, in a peculiar degree or mode, these things. Fantasy, recovery, escape, consolation, all things of which children have, as a rule, less need than older people. Fairy stories and the Christian story have many similarities. What was said about fairy tales by Frederick Buechner theologian and author in his book, Telling the Truth, the Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale, could be said for the Christian story as well. It evokes a world of mystery, deep darkness, and flickering starlight. It is a world where terrible things happen and wonderful things too. Last week, those of you who were here will remember we, we explored the story of the Zacks and Nunes the Zacks who got stuck in their tracks. And today we are going to look at the compensatory notion of balancing old and new. So let's turn for a moment to verses 16 and 17 of our scripture lesson that Melanie read for us. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked and he was full and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he, he spoke and debated in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. You see, Paul was upset with those who were worshiping idols of gold, silver, and stone. But I'm sure he was equally upset with the rigid, antiquated ways of thinking that led to such practices. Religion has always been susceptible to idol worship. And God has always warned against it. When we think back to the Ten Commandments, we see in Deuteronomy, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So this morning, I want to call your attention to a subtler form of idol worship. And that would be idols that are in our heads, in our minds, which are no less real. Many people have antique or ancient relics in their religious thinking, which aren't of much value anymore. It's like the question, How can you do new math with an old math mind? An example is idolizing the good old days in such a way that prevents today, the here and now, from being a good day. Many adults I've talked to long for the faith they had when they were younger. And I think it's true that some people want to go back to a feeling or relationship with God that they once had in a previous time. Trusting in the tried and true because it's something that can be grasped. It's something we can hang on to. The temptation here is to live in the past or at least trust in past experiences and knowledge. So much so that one is blinded to fully embrace the present moment. In one of Thomas Mann's novels, the central figure is a person who rose with relative ease through the ranks to become a giant businessman, amassing a vast empire of financial wealth. And a crisis arises in his life, and he's forced to draw upon his spiritual resources, and all the man can think to do is pray the childhood prayer, Now I lay me down to sleep. Now I lay me down to sleep. Trust only in the known is, in a sense, worshiping idols. Trusting in facts and nothing else, trusting in what's right here in front of us, is what makes uh, life stifling and limited. And so ancient Relics within our belief system can be idols of the subtlest form. Depending too heavily on the past can be equally destructive and deceptive as the opposite response, which is always looking for the new. Never being satisfied with what is, but always needing some new experience or new idea to stimulate one's being. So let's turn now to the story of Aladdin. And that wonderful lamp. Familiar story to most of our ears. Though it's a bit different, I want to tell you from what you may remember more recently from the uh, animated Disney version. For those of you who are grandparents and parents, you may know that maybe better than the original story of Aladdin. Remember, Aladdin started out at the poverty level in ancient times in the capital of China. Now, it so happened that one day an African magician passed by claiming to be Aladdin's uncle. Well, Aladdin believed the magician and set out to help him with the task. Aladdin was to venture into a large cavern and bring an old lamp to the magician. 
And upon returning, Aladdin would not give the lamp to the magician until he was safely up out of the ground. Well, the magician wanted to trick him into giving him the lamp, and then he planned to roll a stone over the hole and keep him down inside underneath the earth. But Aladdin persisted in wanting to be out of the ground before he would hand over the lamp. And so the magician, in a fit of anger, just rolled the stone over him down in the cavern with the lamp in his possession. Well, down there for a while, he finally just by chance happened to rub the lamp. And you know what happened. The genie came out and Aladdin said, I want to be home. And lo and behold, he was home. And then he used the genie to get what he really wanted. He wanted to impress the sultan so that he could win over his beautiful daughter in marriage. And after many gifts and becoming a very wealthy man, Aladdin succeeded in his dream with, of course, the help of his wonderful lamp and his servant, Genie. It came to pass that Aladdin was away on a hunting trip, we could say a business trip, and the magician came back to town to seek out the lamp. Knowing that Aladdin was away, the magician brought a basket full of new lamps, new and shiny lamps, and he went to the palace where Aladdin's wife was shouting, new lamps for old, new lamps for old. And unaware of the value of the lamp Aladdin had sitting on the shelf, his wife gladly exchanged the old tarnished lamp for a new shiny lamp. Well, the tendency for some to reach for the new whenever possible is as tempting for others who cling to the old so much so that they are an able to even be receptive to the new. This was certainly true in Athens during Paul's visit there. In verse 21, it says, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. The sense of the Greek here is comparative. They wanted to hear the latest new idea. What's new? We say that, don't we, right? When we see other people, we come up to somebody and say, hey, what's new? We want to hear something new. Well, Athens was the seat of famous university and was the intellectual mecca of the world. And it was a place that gave hospitality to all different kinds of religious thinking. The people were always ready to listen and debate the latest philosopher who came along but usually it was pretty much a head trip and academic. Many in our culture, too, are taken with the new. People flit from one new thing to the next. And this approach gives little concern for the past and would espouse that ideas and experiences are of little value unless they're new. The desire for new ideas and experiences can never be quenched. It's like always having to wear the latest fashion. It's not long before you have to move on and wear something else. Many people, when experiencing a new fad or belief system or idea, allow all that has brought them to that place to be swept out from under them, and hence they are carried away with the popular tides of the time, as we say, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. There's no continuity, no place to be grounded, no source or center, when the old is discarded and replaced with the new. 
Always seeking the new carries with it restlessness and lack of fulfillment. Somehow our culture has brainwashed us to think that if we don't have the latest fashion or the newest car or the latest ideology or the latest lingo, and I'm dope with that, that somehow we're not with it, while others would say that we have to hang on to the good old religion, that good old religion to tradition, to dwell solely on the old or swing oneself totally into the new, misses the wholeness that God intends in our lives, and so we must hold old and new, past and future in creative tension in the present. Our past needs to be a living past and seen as the fertile ground out of which new growth and new life come. Our faith calls us to newness, yes, but I believe that we must also remember who we are and where we've been. Those two realities have to be integrated. The way of Christ calls us to draw from those things in our past history, individually and corporately, meaning our own history and family stories, and also the faith history over the centuries of the Christian church, to draw from that, and yet at the same time to affirm the new, the future, making connection between the two in ways that hold us and bring us into creative living. Verse 18 tells us that Paul preached Jesus and the resurrection. Resurrection can only come after death. The new grows out of the old. As Christians, we proclaim that Jesus is at the center of our lives, and we are called to be representatives of Christ. We are called to represent. That's what a representative is. It's somebody who represents the life and the love of Christ here and now. Our task is to tell the story, the old story, in new and fresh ways. And so as we look to Scripture, we're not called to hold one tradition over another. You know, some people, um, and I had this earlier in my uh, career, not as much lately, but I, I do remember how people would hold up the King James Version of the Bible and say, this is the only one that really matters. This is the only one that counts. And then there were some other people who, who uh, would hold up the latest translation of the Bible that was just a paraphrase of the Bible and say, no, this is the one. No, we need lots of translations. We need lots of ways of seeing. Some here probably seek the familiar in worship. Something that holds, something that's steady, something that's known. And others come to worship each week looking for something new. And I, each week in preparing, try to offer something of both. Things that hold, that give us grounding, that connect us to the tradition, but something that prompts us beyond that to something new, something that challenges, something that prods us in our lives. There needs to be an 
integrated understanding of those two things. It's not an either-or. And so my heart is full to know that here, both young and old, and everyone in between, are celebrated. You know, music. (laughs) Music can be very emotional. Think about the music that you like. There are as many different tastes and preferences for music as there are people here this morning. And some of you like the older, more traditional music, hymns right out of the hymnal. And others like new and fresh tunes and words that kind of prompt us in our thinking. And um, it doesn't have to be an either or. It's not new lamps for old. Both. Both can be embraced. And the more images that we have for God, the richer our worship and faith will be. Old and new can be embraced together. Jesus put it well when he said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, that is the tradition. No, I have come to fulfill it, to bring wholeness. But look at the newness Jesus brought. Well, Aladdin. Aladdin discovered a treasure which became the source of his power. And his wife, as an extension of himself in those times, did not know the value or the true power of the lamp and so was easily persuaded to give the old lamp up for a new one. It was a more outwardly impressive one. It was shiny. It was the the latest gadget. And Aladdin had to find, he had to find the source that would restore meaning to his life. And so he had to take pursuit and reclaim that source. And when it was restored, the story tells us at the conclusion that Aladdin and his wife and the sultan lived happily ever after. Well, here's one of the variances of the story and our lives. We know that our lives aren't just happily ever after. We will continue to have ups and downs in life. We will continue to have joys and disappointments. But we know, when we know the source, and when we trust the source, it makes all the difference. And so in that trust and hope, we need not rely on idols and relics or shiny new things, nor do we need to look totally to the new, which can leave us with less than we had before, as was the case with the princess and Aladdin. New lamps for old? No. Simply knowing the source. For in all things we are to look unto Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And it's fitting to close with the words of Paul when he spoke to the Athenians when they requested to know what this new teaching was that he represented. 
And we find his address in the passage immediately following our text for this morning when he says this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by people, nor is God served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and everything. And God made from one every nation to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him. Yet he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our very being. That's my hope and prayer this day, that we may integrate our past and our future in every moment that is gifted to us in our life's journey, that we may truly live in Christ and Christ in us. For it is in him that we live and move and have our very being. Amen.